Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. From MCIE. When Rescuel's son was born with Down syndrome, he didn't know what that meant at first. But after talking to the doctor, he realized that it didn't really change anything about what he wanted for his son. He just wanted his son to be included in everything he did. And so when his son was old enough, they joined a local sports group. But they were surprised to see all the kids with disabilities separated into their own group. And as they walked to their first activity, we're seeing his friends who are typical. And he's not going to be with them. And I was like, this isn't how I did it. So we did it. We went through it. And I remember after about six weeks, I was driving my van and my son was in the back and I looked at his face. He wasn't smiling. I looked at my face. I wasn't smiling. And I was like, this is not, we can't do this. So I said, I got to figure something out. Bottom line, Russ didn't want his son to grow up without typically developing friends. Unfortunately, people with disabilities are still segregated in many spaces, including sports and school. That's why we need inclusive leaders to make change. And Russ Yule is going to tell you about what he did to make a change in his community. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, our show where, with every conversation, we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. For this episode, I speak with Russ Ewell, founder of eSoccer and Digital Scribbler. CEO of Hope Technology Group, host of the Lead Different podcast, and father of children with disabilities. We discuss the characteristics of an inclusive leader. And later in the interview, he turns the tables on me and asks me some questions about why inclusion is important to me. Thank you so much for listening. And now my interview with Russ Ewell. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, Russ. And yeah, the last time we, you know, talked, 
you were talking about your journey with your family and you know the creating eSoccer and inclusion's important to you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Why don't you tell us why inclusion is important to you? I was thinking about our, you know, our last talk. I was actually I remember it. I was in my garage when I was talking to you on the phone and it was now I'm sitting in, we got a little studio here we use for all of our stuff. I'm older. So in 1991, my first son was born and uh, we were in the uh, delivery room and it was all normal. And then uh, he was, you know, my wife gave birth and we're sitting there or she's laying down. I'm standing there uh, and it's been a medium long labor. So, you know, we were tired. But the attending came. Our doctor wasn't there. The attending came in and she looked up and said, um, now you do know your son has Down syndrome, right? And she said it like I should have known that. And I was like, no. My wife instantly knew what it was, but believe it or not, I had never really consciously been aware of Down syndrome. But I, I was like, okay, what, what is that? What does that mean? And, um, and he had to, you know, they did everything you do with babies. And uh, they said, let us call a doctor to come in and talk to you. And it happened to be, his name was Dr. Sal. I'll never forget it. Um, he was, it turned out he was the head geneticist at DC Children's Hospital. Uh, and he lived in Alexandria. My son was born in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, and he came and talked to me and he looked at me and he said, okay, I want to talk to you about Down syndrome and your son. He said, you know, I was eating dinner with my family. And for some reason, when the call came out, for someone to talk to you, I decided I'd take it. And I was like, well, this is a serendipity for which I'm grateful, I think, because he's the head of genetics, not just, you know, a doctor. And he said, I want to tell you a couple of things, Russ, before I explain too much. You don't have a Down syndrome baby. You have a baby who happens to have Down syndrome. And that framed my view of life from 1991 on. So fast forward now, he's eight years old. And I'm trying to get him into sports because I was really into sports. I was mostly basketball. And we were in a program, which was great. It was a program for special needs kids to be able to play baseball. We went to the, this is in California now. We went to the place where they're holding it. And uh, all the teams are out there. And you may remember when you were young, you know, everybody goes to the field. They're signing up. They're getting registered. And so I walk and I don't know where our team is. So I ask a couple guys to go, oh, that group is around the corner. So I ended up walking with my son all the way through all the typical kids. And the walk felt long, although it was probably short, right? It felt long. And we finally get to this corner in the back. And that's where all the special needs kids are. And of course, I'm sitting there going, this is not my idea of a great time. Because as we're walking, we're seeing his friends who are typical. Mm -hmm. And he's not going to be with them. And I was like, this isn't how I did it. So we did it. We went through it. And I remember after about six weeks, I was driving my van and my son was in the back and I looked at his face. He wasn't smiling. I looked at my face. I wasn't smiling. And I was like, this is not, we can't do this. So I said, I got to figure something out. And I read an article uh, that was talking about soccer. And again, this is the nineties. And it said that soccer is a global sport and America's not really in it at this time. But the odd thing about it is Soccer is a eye-to-foot coordination sport, whereas baseball, basketball, football are more hand-to-eye, and hand-to-eye is more difficult. And so it's surprising that, and we all know that who are older who played kickball, that that was something mm-hmm. everybody could do, right? And so I, I read it, and I went, wait a minute. Maybe I need to get my kids into soccer. And so I had about six friends at the time, and I've, I think I've told you this in the past. 
we talked about it and they said, yeah, we could do it. And that's how e-soccer started. So why is inclusion so important to me? It's important to me because I didn't want my son to grow up and be an adult like he is now and not have typical friends. He's been on double dates. In fact, Nathan, one of the, my producer, uh, is one of my son's friends who's been with him since they were eight, eight years old. Uh, and so I want that for every kid. I want every kid with special needs to feel like when I go to an event, I'm not walking to the back. I'm not the exception. I'm part of the whole experience. And, and it's been fantastic. Unfortunately, the story that you shared, yeah. you know, it, people are still experiencing yeah. segregated spaces and sports. Uh, not only sports, but in school. Yes. Right. That's right. Um, that normal, typical process of, okay, we're going to sign up for school. We're going to sign up to go to first grade. You know, we're going to sign up to go and play t-ball. You know, that experience is different if you have a child with a disability, and it shouldn't be. That's right. right. It shouldn't be. So, um, something I really that we don't talk about a, a lot on this podcast is mm -hmm. about inclusive leadership. And I'd really love your perspective about what you think it, it takes to be an inclusive leader. What kind of characteristics should you have, or should you be striving for to be an inclusive leader? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, phenomenal. And I'm, I'm still working on that because I don't think that's my, my origin. You know, I was, when I grew up, I, learned, you know, sort of that command control leadership. And mostly, you know, I want to be the center of attention and the star of the show. I didn't want to serve anybody. I wanted to serve me. And, and if, if helping other people help me look better then I would do it, but I wasn't really into helping people. And then when I was about 19, 20, 21, the combination of getting more mature, though I wasn't there yet, and being exposed to, to spiritual and philosophical thinking in college that I hadn't really been exposed to, started to make me aware. Um, I was sort of a person who suppressed my emotions. And, and some of that's from growing up, some family dysfunction, stuff like that, and just being a boy who was, you know, uh, too afraid to be vulnerable. Um, I tell you that because I think part of the experience of becoming an inclusive leader is a personal journey of being willing to be introspective and internally examining enough to understand who you are. And I look back and I look back at when I was younger, whether it was my 30s or 20s and certainly the teens, and I go, I just was an exclusive leader, an exclusive person. I was elitist, very arrogant and condescending because I was insecure, but also tried to, uh, yeah, trying to promote myself and the change that took place. Uh, there's a lot of changes that took place. Marriage helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was that that was that was really good because my wife is the opposite of me in every way, and she she runs. That's why she's good at running Hope Technology School and the uh, the inclusive program they have there. But I think an inclusive leader has to really uh, begin with some degree of uh, valuing and possessing empathy and compassion. And it's about not just putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's about liking people. I think a lot of leaders, and I work with a lot of leaders in. I, I've spoken at Facebook. I've been involved in a lot of the high-tech areas and doing projects that have put me in contact with Google or working with the people there. And one of the most common things that I see is that people don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, and I'm not sure that that's something you just possess. I think that's something, at the very least, that has to be nurtured and developed in you. And what I mean by that is, again, that capacity to look at people and see people. 
to be able to value everyone. And I think the, one of the reasons I love inclusion is because once you learn how to value someone's special needs, you will also learn to value everyone. And I feel like that's happened to me. I value everybody's contribution. When I was growing up, I was like, if you're not, you know, gotta have this GPA and you don't play this sport and you didn't get to this college, then you're not, you know, that was how I graded it out. And then when you have special needs kids, you're like, I remember one of my first revelations was talent's not everything. Previous to that, I was like, no, talent's everything, you know? And then you'll know it's not. And then you start valuing other people. And so what's happened for me, especially as I aged, I've found that in leadership in the corporate world, it's learning how to get millennials, Generation X, and boomers all to work together and be able to respect each other. It's being able to allow someone who's 50 to realize they need to learn and maybe be managed by someone who's 35. And that's a hard thing. But when you become an inclusive leader, you realize there's a lot of emotions and a lot of roads to navigate, but it can be done. Uh, I watch it in the educational system at Hope Technology School with my wife, and she does a great job of creating the culture. And it's interesting because some people I watch come into that culture and they just thrive, but other people come into the culture and they don't thrive because they have struggle being empathetic and respectful of everybody's sort of contribution, everybody's value. And so whether it's education, it's corporate, it's nonprofit, I've been in all those. I think these are the leaders who are, who are rising to become more influential. And some people are annoyed. It's like, you got to think about so much stuff, right? You got to mm -hmm. think about race. You got to think about gender. You got to think about, you know, background. But that's what we should have been doing all along. And is it, <laughs> right. it, yeah, is it yeah. stressful? Yeah, it's stressful. But if you look at the kind of leaders that develop in that environment, I know for me, we're getting a lot of people that, that you know, I would say maybe this person was an introvert in the way they think, more internal. Mm. But when we get out of the way, they become really effective leaders because I don't create this environment where only extroverts can lead. So hopefully that answers the question to some degree. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in there, uh, especially about the reflection and introspection. Leadership is not my wheelhouse. That's not what I talk about. But I, I think that in the work that we do, it's really important for us yep. to reflect on everyone's contribution and then also to change like like I, you know i'm thinking about like my first podcast episodes or my first blogs you know writing and how different i approach it now yeah i agree you know? same um and so and we're all on this we're all on this journey of growth and i hope that that continues as I move along in, you know, at, in forward in this path. Um, but whatever it is that I don't get stuck, you know, in, in one type of thinking. Yes. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, we need leaders who are inclusive. We need leaders who, you know, whether you work at a school, whether you're a principal, whether you're an educator, uh, in a classroom, you know, or whether you're a, you know, business leader, you yes. need inclusive leaders to, to value everyone. Well, you know, and I think one of the things, so there's a couple of things that one I've in, in interacting with you or we first started engaging was on Twitter. Right. And I think you probably underestimate how uh, this comes to you somewhat naturally, I think anyway, to me, because one of the things I saw with you on Twitter is one you wanted to learn. And I do think that's a big thing about inclusive leaders too. Mm. is they're trying to learn. And, and I was 
impacted by that because I was still learning how to manage on social media. And so I would pick people like you and I'd watch and I go, well, what's he doing? And I go, oh, <laughs> that, 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 that looks good. You know, people don't hate him. You know, because you know, <laughs> some people get on some, some some people get on social media and they think, oh, I I they I don't know if they think they're you know General MacArthur or or or, or I probably should pick somebody more recent, but I don't want to accuse anybody. But you know, like, they, and you were a learner. You were like you 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 were bringing people together, and I think that's a lot of what happens. But I I attribute that to, and I've talked about you here in the Bay Area a lot. And uh, I had a meeting right before this and I was like, hey, I got an important guy. I got to do a podcast with, I got to leave. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing that, that I, your listeners should know about you is that, um, and we've not been around each other and work together, but is I think you have this mixture of compassion, empathy, and curiosity that are all part of being inclusive leaders. And even though maybe it's not in your wheelhouse with what you built and what you've done for the Atlanta you know, area, with inclusion and what you've done online with inclusion. It's, it's more than I've done online personally. That's what I feel. And some of it comes because you're an educator and my mom was a teacher. Mm. And um, I think educators that, that, are, that do it right, you know, that are, that they change cultures and they change communities. And I feel like that's another thing that's part of inclusive leadership. And, and it's one of the things I admire and I've tried to learn how to do as I, you know, deal with different things. I want to point out one more thing too, is that for parents out there that listen to your, your podcast, and I'm going to be, you know, I've shared it before, but you know, and we'll share this episode. Parents, sometimes it's very discouraging to be in a society that still segregates. Mm -hmm. It's very discouraging. And I think probably the hardest times for parents, well, there's a lot of hard times, but one of the hardest times for parents are holidays and vacations because that's when the, the segregation really impacts. If Do I want to take my kid to the pool? Will my kid, you know, be treated with respect when he gets there or will people stare at them, et cetera, et cetera. Parents know more about how to create inclusive communities and environments than most people do because they know what it's like to walk into an environment and be uh, rejected without words or, 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 or distance from, and I've been to the hot tub at different vacation spots and I've experienced never anything bad, but I've experienced some really extraordinary people. And, you know, my son with autism might be coming up and he might be a sensory at the moment. And when he's sensory, you know, he's moving around and, and, and just reacting to sounds and so on and so forth. And we've had whole families when I'm a little nervous about, well, should I get him in the hot tub with these people or are they going to be, you know, nervous? And mm -hmm. they were like, oh, he's just nervous about getting in. Get him on in here. You know, let, we're moving. Put him. And when that happens, that kind of a, a bright experience is one encouraging. But I want to let all the parents know with every discouraging thing happens. Remember, you know so much about creating inclusive communities and environments that you being an advocate for your kid also helps your community. I think it's important for them to know. A thought popped in my head while you were talking just about inclusive communities. My family and I went to Athens, Georgia last weekend. And uh, my son was in a, in like a robotics tournament that was... Oh at the near there near the university of georgia and there is a coffee shop in athens called biddy and bows are you familiar with I've the heard name about it yeah okay so biddy and bows is a is not an endorsement although 
I think, I think, you know, um, what they're doing is pushing inclusion forward, Mm -hmm. but this is not intended as a endorsement or advertisement. (laughs) Right, right, right. But, but, um, I knew that they, so Biddy and Bose is a chain coffee shop. Um, and they employ people with developmental disabilities, uh, specifically, um, uh, people with Down syndrome, because I believe that the founders or the owners, the, the ones who started the, the business, have children with Down syndrome. Hmm. And so I knew this, and there isn't one close to my house. And I always want to support businesses who, you know, employ people with disabilities. And, and so we're like, finally, I get a chance to do this. This is really cool. So like, we went to Athens and we, they, my son participated in the tournament. Um, and then I, you know, my family, we went to like the botanical garden and I'm like, all right, it's time to go to Biddy and Bo. So we go and the place was packed, like wow. packed. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Right. And, um, so I'm getting in, I'm in line and the cashier is someone with a disability and, you know, he's asking me what I want and everything like that. Uh, and so this isn't really a criticism as opposed as, is like, it's so hard sometimes because the the worker the the one that was supporting the the people with disabilities um had this like look on his face like like I'm ready for anything to happen right. you know like like if he does something wrong at the cashier I'm ready mm-hmm. and I didn't want to make a scene but I'm like y'all just need to chill. <laughs> like you just need to chill and let him do like, it's going to take him a long time. Like yeah. it took him a long time to ring me up. And I'm like trying to be like, so like not reactive, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Cause, absolutely. cause I'm not, I'm like not trying to portray like I'm a being impatient, you know, right. cause I'm not, but I also don't want to be like, it's okay it's all right yes. because i also don't want to like feed into that whole thing right right so i'm like just trying to be like you know but you could tell the the person that was supporting him was like oh well let me just do it you know yeah. i love the mission yes of this organization this company and what they're doing but that little micro interaction i see all the time right. especially in like education related situations like i just it was a parallel to like in the class right the in the paraprofessional is working with the student and as a teacher you're trying to build independence for that student but that the whoever is helping quote unquote helping that person is like oh well let me just do it you know what i mean yep um so you can create all these conditions for inclusion right but it's it's still it's still hard to do. Like we got to have the, that mindset shift. And again, not I'm not trying to criticize people who work for Bedimbos, but I I just it was a moment in time that you know obviously affected me because I brought it up. Yeah, it's interesting because well, and you clearly are not saying anything negative about them. What you're observing is the challenge that the company faces because they don't know how the customer is going to react. Mm, and so that's yeah. the pressure that the individual who's supporting is feeling is they're, they're having to do something that they haven't been trained to do, which is to read each customer, which is really difficult 
And if they had known you, they'd have been like, oh, I can chill. This guy's going to be good. But I'm sure they have customers that are like, you know, what are you doing? Because what is it? There's like 61 million people in America with a disability, right? And I think most people don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to be inconvenienced by having to put a ramp on their restaurant. They don't want to be inconvenienced by having to establish a table for someone with a physical disability. And I don't even know that I'm, I don't think they're bad hearted. It's just that it's, it's harder. It's more inconvenient. It's more time consuming. And just to, 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 to support what you're saying from a personal point of view, I do the same thing as that support person with my own kids. I'm like, Oh, people are going to be like, why are you taking so long? And I'll be like, okay, I'll just get them through. Right. Because the culture does not, if the culture of everyone is not inclusion, it becomes more difficult to practice it. Like uh, I forgot the name of the company, Biddy and Bose or something like that. It's, it's harder for them to practice it, not because they don't want to, but because they're in the middle of dealing with people. And I, I ran, I read a Easter seals uh, study on the impact of COVID on uh, special needs. And it was somewhat distressing, but I learned something from it is that 80% of all medical professionals are not trained to work with people with disabilities. And so I'm thinking, wow, if medical professionals who can go to school for eight, 12, whatever, 18 years, depending on what they specialize in, Mm -hmm. they're not getting any training in that. How tough is it for the support guy at Biddy and Bose trying to figure out how to manage all that and and what you're driving for and I think have done a great job with and a lot of us are driving for is a culture that says we can't just force these adults and these kids to be in a back room we can't just force them to be like I think uh, in this uh, one of the studies on uh, COVID-19 impact on special needs it said 50% of the stress that the people with disabilities felt was from isolation And so Mm -hmm. when you look at what you're really talking about is when you're talking about inclusion, not just like, hey, it'd be nice to have a kid be a part of something. It's that if you we don't include kids and adults with special needs, they will be isolated. And if and and I would ask everybody out there to think about how they've enjoyed the isolation of COVID-19, like the especially here in the Bay Area, we've been locked down. We, we don't feel like we've ever gotten out of lockdown. It's been, and, and I'm not even, <laughs> yeah. com- I'm not even yeah. complaining. I'm just saying we've been locked down hard from day one. And, and we've had people suffer with emotional health problems that we know because of the isolation. And so I just would plead with those listening to advocate for and understand that if we don't include those folks will end up in isolation. And if they end up in isolation, they're never going to be able to uh, leverage the talents and abilities they do have. And more importantly, they will begin to have emotional health problems the same way people who are, you know, neurotypical do. So I hear everything you're saying about it. And I love your description because I felt that description when I'm in my, when the, when I'm helping my son in his room and I'm like, Hey, we got to be there at 12 and you know, Mm -hmm. you're taking a little longer to get ready than we need. I got to jump in here. What's great though is his friends will never rush. They will never rush. And they'll be like, no, no, no. He needs to have the opportunity. We can be late. You know, they, they don't feel right. it uh, that way. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm guilty of not navigating that any better than the poor support person who was trying to navigate it to. So. That poor person. I'm so sorry. I, I hope, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. I really no, don't. No, they, they should listen. <laughs> you went all the way there and paid money to support them. That's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, can I ask you a question? I know that you're interviewing me, but so one of the things that I've been telling people about you is your, your journey to 
from being an educator to being such a passionate person for inclusion, um, I think a lot of people that may listen, and I know I'm going to get this out to people that are, are typical. I'm going to get it out to them. A lot of them, how do, how, do, how do you get a passion for inclusion when you're teaching when it's not like being pushed on you to do, but you grab a hold of it yourself and say, I want to advocate for that? Because that's inspired me, but I've never known how you got there. Uh, well, so the, I guess the best way to explain it is, um, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to be a therapist. Okay. I, I want, that's what I wanted to do. Psychology degree. My last semester in college, I took a psychology of the exceptional child class. I thought that I was going to uh, learn about gifted kids. And, <laughs> and I, and, uh, and, and uh, to even go back a little farther, um, I went to private school. I went to private school from uh, pre-K all the way through. I like to say college because it was a, uh, it was a, a private Christian liberal arts college in Azusa, California. Okay. Y- y'all can look that up because there's only one. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyways, um, part of that class was I had to observe a special education class in a local school district. So I, you know, emailed the principal at the local middle school and I said, Hey, I'm doing this for a class. And I went and observed, um, a special education. It was like a resource math class. And I was like, huh, like, why are these kids separated from everyone else? And they don't seem any different than anyone else. Right. Like, I was thinking I was going to go to this room and there'd be like very obvious disabilities. Um, But I couldn't. It was not it was not evident to me. Now, at the time, I was just like, huh, that's weird. But looking back, I'm like, well, you know, that was kind of the beginning of you thinking that this might not be the best way to educate kids. But I didn't, I didn't synthesize that that until much later. Right. Um, well then I graduated from, um, you know, I graduate with a psychology degree. You can't get a a job with a, with a BA in psychology. (laughs) So I got a, I became a behavior therapist for uh, young children with autism. Oh, okay. Um, and went down the behaviorist road. Um, and again, thankful that I'm not still on that road, but that opened the door to me like, oh my gosh, I love people with autism. I want to work. I want to work with kids with autism. And so then I went back, to, I, I wanted to go back to school to become a teacher. Um, and so the, my, my, uh, advisor was like, well, you know, you're, you're going to want to get a credential in California, um, uh, get a credential for working with students with severe disabilities, quote unquote, severe disabilities. Right. Um, so then went back to school, uh, went to Cal state Fullerton, uh, and learned about inclusion, learned that, you know, students with all different kinds of abilities can learn together. Right. Uh, had no idea that wasn't even a thing. Then I got my first job in a segregated self-contained classroom for students with autism in Pasadena. And, um, and part of my teacher training was 
to take a student and in, make an inclusion plan for that student. That was part of my curriculum. And, and I was like, this is never going to work. Hmm. You know, this student, um, this student, uh, doesn't communicate, uh, doesn't speak to communicate. Right. Uh, he has aggressive behaviors. Um, you know, he has significant sensory needs. He's never going to, you know, uh, participate in a lesson, stuff like that. Yeah. So part of that inclusion plan was to, um, look at the student's needs, uh, strengths and develop the inclusion plan around those strengths so that he can be included in a particular lesson. So I worked with a fifth grade teacher. Okay. Uh, this student uh, loved to tear little bits of paper. He loved to cut. Um, so I said, well, anything that he does needs to involve cutting yeah. or, or tearing. Um, and so in the it was a fifth grade science class or geography class. I can't remember now, but they were creating topography maps. And so out of cardboard. So they had a bunch of sheets of cardboard and uh, they were uh, you know, uh, outlining the different layers of the cardboard. And so my student would sit there and cut the cardboard. He didn't have one challenging behavior. Wow. He hardly made a sound. He just was there and cutting to his heart's content. And there wasn't a lot of expectations there because, you know, again, this was just the beginning of my journey. Yes. But it was at that moment that I realized, wait a minute, like kids can be successful as long as we plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, why can't I do this with everyone else? Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and so that was the moment for me that I went, well, we just need to do this with everyone. So, and, you know, it's interesting about the story because I, I picked up, pick up bits and pieces along the way. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about the story is there are a lot of people, because I dropped a lot of class, well, not a lot, but I dropped classes I didn't want to be in in uh, college that would have gone into that psychology for exceptional kids, found out it wasn't gifted and dropped it. And I think how fortunate we are that you didn't drop it and that you stayed in it, because I think that that's how destinies are shaped and how people end up changing everything. As you're talking about all of it, um, it reminds me, you know, when I was a kid and again, um, I, I'm probably older than a lot in your audience, but, um, in second grade, I, uh, so I, I, when I was, uh, growing up my family sixties, we were in a all black area for a couple of years of my, let me see, kindergarten and first grade. Um, and then in second grade, we moved to another neighborhood. My parents was, you know, it, it, well, it was like no black people there. Like it was like all white, which was fine. And I was in a, one of the better schools in the area. And, um, uh, my first report card came home. I brought it home and it was, uh, all C's and I hadn't gotten anything like that before. So my mom was like, what's this all about? And, um, my teacher had also made me spell my name. My name is spelled E-W-E-L-L. -L. She had made me spell my name E-L-W-E-L-L, Elwell instead of Yule. And I told her, I kept telling her, I remember, I'll never forget this because I was like seven. I was like, uh, no, my name is E-W-E-L-L. She goes, no, it's not. And she, she happened to be older, much older, like retirement age probably at the time, and white. And she was like, no, you don't know how to spell your name. You will write E-L-W-E-L-L -L on there. So I did. So I brought my report card home. And I'd brought this book home 
And my mom goes, what's going on? And she went to see the lady and my mom, to know my mom is to know someone who will not put up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and she was a teacher in another school district and she went to straighten it out. And, uh, and she did, she got it all straightened out. But the teacher's first comment was, oh, C's are great for kids like that. And that also shapes my view of inclusion because I think that inclusion at the end of the day is about not creating an environment of judgmentalism that says, because of the way you appear, or because of the way you behave, I'm going to lock you in and say, you can't do any better than that. And so that also drives me uh, mm -hmm. with regard to it. And it's because it's not just about race. It's about the understanding the differences between people. And it's helped us expand our work because we've had times where uh, our kids have, uh, meaning uh, the kids in our program that have special needs that have had difficult moments. And one of our goals is for the parents to be able in our sports programs, uh, and we have e-hoops, e-fitness, uh, there's a plan to start e-flag football, which that one's a curious one for me. I'm like, I, I, that's going to be, that's going to be fun. Um, uh, there's been e-yoga. I mean, we've got all kinds of them, but the goal is to have the parent for that hour be able to stand on the sidelines like my parents did and watch their kid do something. And so we have to work hard to train them. But I was, you know, I just want all the parents out there to know, uh, and they can find the stuff by just looking up e-sports, e our e-sports uh, site, if they want to know how to, how to do it. And we have videos and stuff, how to do it in your area. But I want parents to know, because I think it's very discouraging for young parents sometimes, and they can feel hopeless and they can feel like this is never going to work. And if you're like us, you have a kid with autism and he ended up having some digestive challenges, but we didn't even know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of frustration of going to doctors, not being able to get the answer. And, and for the educators out there, I'd like them to also understand that when parents, parents are doing a lot of work that has nothing to do with that classroom, that's exhausting them. So you have to try to give them a little mercy and grace. And some parents, I always try to be cool. Cause I, you know, I just try to be cool about stuff, but some parents they're on edge, you know, and then that teacher's like, your kid can't do it. He's got to do that. You know, and, that, and then a parent maybe kind of has a moment and people may go, I don't want to be around that parent anymore. There's a lot of work parents are doing and a lot mm -hmm. of sleepless nights. And that's why any mercy you can give them is good. But uh, it's also the hope that I think parents can have is their educators like you, their programs like ours. Uh, there are, there are a lot of people today I think all over America that are trying really hard to get this to happen. We're not there, but when I started out, people like you didn't exist. Like there were, there weren't people like I'm, I'm young, I'm going for it. I want to, I want to help, you know, they were very rare. And so this is a great time. If you're going to have a special needs kid uh, to be in the school system and to be in society. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to receive all that hope, Russ and just put it all back out into the universe because I think that I feel like there is a, um, there's a groundswell, a movement towards inclusion and it's not just, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just, you know, us two talking about it. I think that there's, there's more, there's more podcasts being, you know, uh, produced. Uh, not only by educators or parents, but by people with disabilities. Russ Ewell, it has been a pleasure um, speaking with you, and thanks for being on the podcast. 
Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. If you enjoyed today's episode, here are some ways that you can help our podcast grow. Share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. And if you haven't already, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Veronica E., Sonia A., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M., Aaron P., and Paula W. for their support of Think Inclusive. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how MCIE can partner with you in your school or district, visit mcie.org. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.